I think it's important to, to say we're, we're also not naive to think that there won't be some additional tests and thoughts along the way. And by the way, we're testing too. We're testing with Netflix. You know, we'd like to test with Amazon as well. And, and we're mm-hmm. willing to test shortened windows for significant uh, reductions in film rental. We anticipate continuing to test with Netflix. I think the key thing with the streamers is that, is that not only does it have some form of an exclusive window, whether that's 17 days or 24 days or 31 days, but also that the streamer put forward a substantial marketing campaign. You know, if a movie just gets uh, laid out there without a significant marketing campaign, then it's not going to do very well. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the interests of theatrical exhibition. Joined once again today by the deputy editor at Box Office Pro, Rebecca Pauly. A happy new year to all our listeners as we start 2022 on the right foot, talking about everything coming to the movies later this year and finishing with a great interview with former Cinemark CEO Mark Cerati, who just stepped down from that position days ago. Mark speaks with our own Rebecca Pauly on his take of the cinema recovery and experiences while leading the third largest exhibition circuit in the nation. But first, Rebecca, you were back home in North Carolina for the holidays. How was your time there? And a quick question before we get started on all this. Is there like a meal that you guys have during the holidays, like a traditional meal you have in your family? Yeah, Daniel, not so much a one for Christmas, but uh, a tradition in the South is on New Year's Day, you have to eat black-eyed peas, ham, and greens in order to have good luck for the New Year. So if we end up having a better 2022 than 2021, I'll take responsibility. In, uh, in Mexico, the dish we usually have is uh, called bacalao, which is this salted codfish stew that uh, I think that came from Spain. I think that Spain and Portugal, it's, it's common there. You usually have this in the Christmas and New Year time. You have this big stew. It's delicious. There's olives in there. There's potatoes. It's this great dish. And then the day after, you basically have the leftovers and you put them in this special bread, bolillo, which you just make sandwiches with for an entire week. And uh, I wanted to open with that, A, because it's always interesting cross cultures, uh, how people celebrate the holidays, but B, because it looks like we're all going to be enjoying leftovers for the beginning of the year, unfortunately, here at the box office. A great start in uh, December for Spider-Man No Way Home. The film has now crossed 600 million domestically. Uh, it's the highest grossing Sony release of all time worldwide with over $1.1 billion now. Great numbers here, but unfortunately, Rebecca, looking at the release calendar, fears from Omicron are pushing some titles out of the way. It's going to be a tricky start to the new year. Yeah, Daniel, when I saw that email from Sony about their uh, Spider-Man universe film Morbius starring Jared Leto being pushed back from January to April, uh, definitely had a little bit of deja vu and not in a good way. No, not at all. And of course, closures are still impacting the global market, domestically at least, in Canada, 
We are starting the year with cinemas in the provinces of Ontario and Quebec closed until further notice. We are also keeping an eye on closures across certain territories in Europe as Omicron continues to spread. Unfortunately, that adds up to a very slow month of January. Rebecca, it looks like Scream opening next weekend is going to have to carry the bulk of the box office, at least domestically, for the rest of the month. Yeah, I flash back to the performance of Halloween Kills last year, how that underperformed, that being another kind of legacy sequel slash reboot of a beloved horror franchise. Granted, Scream is coming exclusively to theaters, whereas Halloween Kills did day and date on theaters and on Peacock. So maybe we're looking at a breakout hit here, but uh, fingers crossed. It's going to be a very tough start to the year. As you mentioned, Rebecca, Halloween Kills probably being the best comparable here when we're looking at something like Scream, both slasher movies, both legacy IPs. You mentioned Halloween Kills opening day and date on Peacock. It didn't start off on the best foot at the box office domestically. I think it lagged out a little bit better than we anticipated, thanks to the Halloween weekend, of course. Scream doesn't have that advantage here in the middle of January. We know this is an IP that succeeds in the winter months it has in the past we have an interview with the filmmakers of this title in next week's podcast i can't wait to share that with you guys at least i'm excited to see this in a theater but it looks like other than this it's going to be a long wait until uncharted comes out in mid-february as the next milepost to recovery this being a video game adaptation coming in from sony with the hottest star in the moment Tom Holland taking the lead here. We have an interview with the director of Uncharted in our next print issue. What's your outlook of a title like this, Uncharted? I, I have to be honest, it's not really on my radar, Rebecca, but it's, it seems like the sort of movie that people that are going to the movies right now would be interested in. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's really tough. I mean, what, what I know about this movie really is that it's something that it's been in development hell for years and years and years and years. Uh, it looked like at one point, like it was never going to get made. That combined with the fact that, you know, you think back to other video game adaptations like Assassin's Creed, you know, adaptations of hugely popular right. video games. They don't tend to do well. The only one that really broke out was Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which is a completely different right. vibe. A, a very different audience. Adventure games. And Sonic the Hedgehog as well in the same sort of cross-quadrant, mm -hmm. family-friendly yeah. vibe. Uncharted, you know, seems like more of a action adventurer. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's another IP that really didn't perform very well when they tried to revive it recently. Yeah, a lot of questions, unfortunately, here as we begin the year. Uh, unfortunately, we have to say it, the only guaranteed hit that we can count on and the next big blockbuster on our radar after the release of Spider-Man No Way Home isn't going to be coming out until the beginning of March with the Batman from Warner Brothers coming into theaters. There's a lot of anticipation with this title. We're seeing a lot of that online buzz, a lot of that fan element also returning. I have to tell you, Rebecca, it's a little bit disappointing that we have to look at this industry and cross our fingers for whenever a superhero movie can come in to create any sort of buzz, we really need the rest of the market to step up. Otherwise, we're looking at another year dominated by films at the box office made primarily from IPs meant for little boys. And when you take into account too that 
the last Batman film we had, I mean, it wasn't a quote unquote Batman film per se, but Justice League came out in 2017. We have a new Batman film every five years. You got to wonder at what point maybe does the interest start to wane a bit? It doesn't seem like it's going to happen with this one, with a lot of anticipation riding on the Batman from the fan community. We saw again this element turn out for Spider-Man No Way Home. This is probably the safest title we can count on in the first quarter. But coming out a week after that, I think is the first of a series of question marks to close out the month of March with Turning Red from Disney coming out on March 11th. We've been seeing family titles perform a little bit better thanks to the release of titles like Encanto, like Sync 2, progressively improving at the box office. This is going to be a Pixar title, this Turning Red movie. It's not a recognizable IP, so we have to measure our expectations for it. Looking at that audience, Encanto is holding quite well, but uh, it's not going to hold quite well in time March when Turning Red comes out. So hopefully there's going to be that pent-up demand for a big animated family title. Uh, And then, Daniel, on the flip side of the equation, not so much catering to the under-12 crowd, but more the adult demographics, we have Downton Abbey, A New Era. The first Downton Abbey film was a real sleeper hit, um, kind of proved what we talk a lot about, about the importance of diversity in, in cinemas, in crafting films to different audiences. That said, The audience that a Downton Abbey film caters to is, by definition, older, and we have seen that those audiences are slower to come back to cinemas. So we'll have to see. The trailer hit all the buttons for me that it needed to hit, which is good locations and good clothes and kind of feel good and don't have to worry about too much. Uh, That's kind of what I can use right now. But hopefully by March, other people feel the same and will feel comfortable going going out to cinemas. That before the pandemic could have easily broken out, been a nice little sleeper hit. But it's been rescheduled time and time again. Uh, Focus features having to kick the can down the road because these older audiences, like you mentioned, they're just simply not coming back so far. We saw that happen with titles like West Side Story that really should have done a lot better at the box office. I'm really concerned on this one. At least we'll be able to tell where we are in the recovery with this out in the market, if indeed it stays for mid-March. I think it's going to be an important milestone to gauge the recovery as opposed to something that we have to have undue financial expectations for. And Daniel, it's more an award season contender than one of these large films that we can expect to maybe be a transition point. But when you're talking about January releases and musicals, I'm hoping Cyrano is the one to break that streak of musicals not doing well. I don't know if I'd call it niche necessarily, but it's not something that you would necessarily expect everyone to go out to. You know, it's a period drama, it's a musical, but um, it's one of the favorite films that I saw in 2021, and I'm, I'm really excited for it, and I hope that people show up for it. My wife actually just told me that the music in Cyrano is by hipster dad rock band The National, which I actually quite enjoy, Love one of my National. favorite bands. I'm a big fan yep. of The National. That basically sold me. So we'll be watching Cyrano. We've got at the end of March, closing out the first quarter, The Lost City coming out on March 25th from Paramount. Another set of question marks here. We talked about it on the podcast last week. Big studio comedies 
have been missing in action. They're an endangered species in Hollywood right now. We've got the first one, a sort of romancing the stone-like adventure caper with Channing Tatum, with Sandra Bullock. There is potential to this title, but we're not sure where comedies are landing with audiences right now. That's going to be another big question mark on the calendar. Again, to sort of gauge where audiences are comfortable in coming back. The Lost City looks fun. You know, if anyone can kind of have that older school star appeal, charisma uh, to bring people back to theaters, I would trust Sandra Bullock to be able to, <laughs> to, be able to do it. Um, but yeah, that's another question. And we're, we're kind of seeing markets kind of recover from the COVID pandemic at different rates. Same thing with film genres. Absolutely. And on the specialty side, we actually have two of my favorite movies that I've seen so far from 22 coming out in the first two months on January 14th from Blue Fox Entertainment, The Pink Cloud, which is a quarantine drama from Brazil that was actually filmed before the pandemic, premiered at Sundance 2021. This is one of the best titles I saw at Sundance last year, Rebecca. It's going to be a modest release, a limited release in theaters. Definitely one to check out. And then getting a little bit of a wider release, Joachim Trier's The Worst Person in the World from Neon, coming out on February 4th. This is a fantastic, fantastic movie. Came out to great reviews at Cannes, at the New York Film Festival. These are going to be specialty titles that at least are going to keep some of these art houses coming in with fresh content as we do a lead up to the Academy Awards. And then once the Academy Awards have passed, then we start revving up more into the summer movie season, which, of course, kind of moves earlier and earlier every year. But uh, this year we're getting titles like, well, now Morbius, which was supposed to come out in January, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, Lightyear. Daniel, of, of the big films that are coming out in Q2, what are you the most optimistic about in terms of what you think could hit at the box office? Q2 really looks to be a step in the right direction when we see these big cross-quadrant titles coming out. We've got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness riding that Spider-Man No Way Home bump coming out on May 6th, Jurassic World Dominion from Universal coming out on June 10th, and Lightyear from Pixar on June 17th. I think these are three fairly dependable blockbusters that we can count on coming out, the first in early May, the other two in mid-June. We've also got, I think, a decent start in the month in April, a number of titles that seem fresh, that seem to get people going to the movies. You mentioned Morbius a little bit ago. That might also get a bit of a bump from Spider-Man. So a good bit of momentum once we get into April, I think, for the rest of the year, we're really looking at that to be the real push in 2022 once we hit April. And of course, we're finishing April going to CinemaCon 2022 once again. That might be a nice little piece of momentum as we head into the summer. I'm just uh, wondering how many trailers we're going to see at this year's CinemaCon that we also saw at last year's CinemaCon. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Are we going to see footage from Top Gun Maverick once again at CinemaCon 2022? This movie has been moved so many times. It was the cover of our CinemaCon 2020 issue. It's still not come out. It's scheduled now for Memorial Day weekend, the same weekend that Paramount found success with last year with the release of A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of people very interested on this title, 
it seems a little bit stale at this point. Uh, what's your take on something like Top Gun Maverick now that it's been years since we started hearing about the title? I, I'm with you on that, but but only I would say halfway because I think that Paramount's been been smart in over these last few months. I really have not seen any marketing for for Top Gun Maverick. I, I feel like they kind of held back uh, long enough that the average person who's not glued to <laughs> upcoming movie trailer promotions like we are uh, maybe hasn't seen as much of that um, as they did from some of these more oversaturated titles that we've seen over the past few months. So I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic on this one. And then to finish out the month of June, another question mark, as we mentioned the struggles that music-oriented and music-focused films have had at the box office, Elvis from Warner Brothers coming out on June 24th. I saw the marketing material, early marketing material for this title at Cine Europe last year. There's some potential here, but again, is that audience that hasn't come out for these type of movies going to return by the time late June comes around? Elvis is a fairly strong brand, I would say, here in the United States. Another title to keep an eye on. And then we get into actual summer, the uh, hopefully not, but probably the third summer of this COVID pandemic. Um, some strong releases coming out here. Uh, we have Thor, Love and Thunder. Of course, you know, you can generally rely on, on a Marvel title to bring the audiences in. Thor Ragnarok was was really critically well received. So my fingers are crossed for this one. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Similarly, Minions, The Rise of Gru. You can bet on a minion. <laughs> Facebook moms love them. Kids love them. Everyone <laughs> loves a minion. And then you have Black Adam starring Dwayne Johnson, who doesn't love Dwayne Johnson, another kind of bona fide movie star. Same thing with Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 7. It's looking like it's going to be a good summer, tentative, in, you know, unless uh, COVID throws us in our curveball. Yeah, uh, especially that month of July when you have Minions, Thor, and Black Adam all coming out through the span of that month. A little bit crowded, but these are movies that can all reach a wide audience, concentrated. They're right in the middle of the summer. Uh, I think there's going to be great momentum there if those titles stick to those dates. August and September, Rebecca, are looking a little bit slim until Mission Impossible 7 opens in late September. Tom Cruise actually showed up to Cine Europe in person, introduced footage from the two Paramount movies he has coming out this year. So we know he's going to be putting a lot of time and effort to promote these movies internationally and domestically. So I do think that's going to perform well. And then if we look forward to the fourth quarter, we're starting things off with another Spider-Man movie, but in this case, an animated Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 from Sony coming out on October 7th. Rebecca, I know we both really liked the animated uh, version of this franchise. Oh, masterpiece. That, yeah, that, that came out a couple of years back. For me, it's probably my favorite superhero movies. I don't really like these superhero things. This one was different. It felt fresh. It felt exciting. Visually, it was a treat to watch. I can't wait to see this one. I'm, this is probably the one superhero movie I'm really excited to see in 2022. Same. And then about a month later on November 4th from Warner Brothers, we have The Flash, which is uh, a new entry in the DC Extended Universe that has, uh, I'm overstating it a little bit here, but I think maybe 12 or 13 different announced directors. Uh, no, it's been like three or four, but this movie has been kind of 
stuck in development hell uh, for, for quite a long time. One of those, like Uncharted, where you're kind of wondering in the back of your head, is this movie even going to come out? Apparently so. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see how it performs compared to, say, A Wonder Woman 1984, which came out day and date in theaters and on HBO Max versus The Flash, which will presumably have theatrical exclusivity. Yeah, we know Warner Brothers has said they're going to be giving their titles 45 days of exclusivity in 2022. And it's going to be a good opportunity to see how those titles match up on the market. Warner Brothers not having a single title among the top 10 earners domestically in 2021, you have to think that day and date decision really hurt them once we got to the second half of the year. Let's see how these titles perform. And then building on this superhero trend, we've got titles coming out for the rest of Q4, like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever on November 11th, and Aquaman and The Last Kingdom on December 16th. That's four superhero movies, including the Spider-Man movie we mentioned, four superhero movies in the fourth quarter. You have to assume these things are going to be able to bring in audiences. I'm just a little bit worried about adult audiences that have been slow to get back going to a multiplex and just seeing Showtime after Showtime dedicated to these movies. I like the superhero movies more, more than you do, Daniel, but I definitely start to feel that fatigue when it's all you see at these multiplexes. And for a lot of for a lot of people, uh, you know, across North America and the world, these multiplexes are, are going to be the only theaters that they have easy access to. We appreciate what these movies bring to the marketplace. Let's face it; they're keeping theaters in business. I have no problem with Spider-Man: No Way Home taking up as many showtimes as it possibly can because nothing else is performing anywhere near the way this movie hits with audiences. So if we look at this schedule and we understand the context of the recovery, it's a good thing that we have a lot of these titles coming out. It's a good thing that that audiences are gonna have these movies to pick from. The negative thing, as you mentioned, is it's going to be, by the time we hit mid-December, your pick of Showtime on what superhero you want to watch in another endless sequel. I'm not too sure all of the audiences around the world are gonna be thrilled about that. Yeah, I mean, especially considering by that point in the year, you would hope that the older audience demographics who have been uh, slower in coming back to the theaters will be back by that point if there are things they want to see. I don't know. Maybe they're really looking forward to Avatar 2, which in theory is is coming out December 21st. In theory, absolutely. This year kind of feels like we're having a list of movies that felt fictional at some point that were like Uncharted, The Flash, Avatar 2, kind of in the works forever. We'll see what happens with Avatar 2. That's a huge question mark coming out from 20th Century Studios. We know the first one was a massive hit. It introduced a new benchmark in digital cinema technology when it came out over a decade ago at this point, a completely dormant franchise. The studio that put it out doesn't exist anymore. It's been in the works for years and years. The big question mark that I have with Avatar 2 comes with that cinema technology question mark. There's been huge evolution in cinema presentation since the first Avatar. What can we expect from this title on December 21st? Because we know the role that premium formats have had in the cinema recovery. This might be a title that people just go to experience 
exclusively in a premium format, that might not be bad news. Other than that, I probably have as many doubts as you do around the anticipation for this title. That said, you know, betting against James Cameron when it comes to box office doesn't never tend do to that. do well. Yeah, no, so. never do that. We'll, we'll, we'll end up looking like fools. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy can get concepts that don't look great on paper and make them work. I even look back at movies like Aliens. I love the first Alien, a wonderful horror sci-fi movie. The sequel was completely different, this big studio action movie with set pieces, but that still worked and audiences loved. I mean, even if you look at the tonal difference between the first and second Terminators, this guy knows how to keep franchises fresh and different and technologically exciting, even if it's been years after the first one came out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering about the 3D component here because that's something that's kind of uh, gotten dormant in North America over the past few years since Avatar basically created the 3D boom. If indeed Avatar 2 is a real movie that exists and will come out at some point, maybe it's one of these things that the world just implodes on itself once this thing hits theaters. We'll see, but we're excited to find out come Christmas how these movies perform and hopefully how much our life has changed after another year of this pandemic. It feels so frustrating uh, starting this year in 2022 with cinema closures, with a variant, very much in the same vein that we started 2021. But we do have to take a step back and realize, hey, the quarter four box office in 2021 domestically hit $2 billion. We had a billion dollar film. The second highest grossing opening weekend domestically of all time. These are important benchmarks. I know it seems that things are bleak and difficult. Yes, we are still very much impacted by the pandemic, but I do insist that there's been important strides made in 2021 that can provide building blocks for improvement in 2022. Absolutely, Daniel. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of the things that happened during the pandemic uh, to affect the industry. I'm talking about things like uh, like windows and like uh, exhibitors collaborating with streamers. You know, just aside from the individual films that are upcoming, I'm excited to see how some of these evolutions that COVID has caused in the cinema industry uh, play out. Um, I was actually lucky enough to speak to Cinemark CEO Mark Zarati, and we did delve a bit into that. Um, Mark Zarati, of course, uh, CEO of Cinemark, the third largest exhibitor in North America. Uh, his tenure ended at the end of 2021. Now the CEO of that chain is their former CFO and COO, Sean Gamble. But I mean, Daniel, Mark Zarati has just been such a big presence in this space, uh, coming from distribution, working for Disney for a long time, then going uh, to exhibition. Um, it's in our upcoming January, February issue. You can read the whole thing there, but we have some, some highlights here for you. And Rebecca, you actually asked him about Cinemark's COVID era approach to windowing and what that means moving forward. We announced several months ago that we did new licensing agreements with all the studios and major content providers um, that take us you know, all the way in through 22. The, the only exception to that is Disney wanted to, to do it at a little bit slower pace. So, so we have a, a deal that takes us through the calendar year of 21 with Disney, and we expect that um, 22 will be a, a year in which Disney will continue to to have um, uh, exclusive windows on all the movies going back since Free Guy. They've been having an exclusive window, so uh, we feel pretty good about 
the windows are going are gonna to probably map out somewhere in the 30 to 45 days for the big movies and mm-hmm. potentially slightly less than that for the small movies. But I think that the studios and content providers have realized that having an exclusive theatrical window um, helps eventize movies, helps increase the ancillary uh, market benefit to them, and also significantly reduces piracy because mm-hmm. when movies were tested during the pandemic that went day and date in the home, it highly increased the piracy rates because effectively you were putting a pristine copy of the movie into a home environment that could be easily you know, duplicated and, and sent around the world. So I think we're going to settle down into 22 with a, a more consistent distribution pattern. Now, notwithstanding that, I think it's important to, to say we're, we're also not naive to think that there won't be some form of potentially a, some additional tests and thoughts along the way. And by the way, we're testing too. We're testing with Netflix and we're, you know, we'd like to test with Amazon as well. And, and we're mm-hmm. willing to test shortened windows for, you know, significant uh, reductions in film rental. So we're mm-hmm. in the midst of testing those as well. We anticipate continuing to test with Netflix. I think the key thing with the streamers is that, is it not only does it have some form of an exclusive window, whether that's 17 days or 24 days or 31 days, but also that the streamer put forward a uh, substantial marketing campaign. Because, you know, if a movie just gets uh, laid out there without a significant marketing campaign, then it's not going to do very well. And so, you know, Netflix is, Netflix and others are in the process of, of, of testing that out. You know, gaming is something that has kind of been in the works for a while in the cinema exhibition space. It requires those relationships between exhibitors and content providers, same as we have with films, obviously. Uh, we're not quite up to that level yet, but it was really interesting to speak to Mark about the potential that he believes gaming has for Cinemark's future. We think it's a potential significant growth area. It's not a big significant portion of our business today, but that's why we've decided to get very serious about it and bring in an executive who understands the gaming world and then tie that into the theatrical world. But but every time we've experimented with things, we're learning more and more. You may know what we did with Critical Role, where we rolled that out into 30 cities and it was highly successful. And then we've had everything, as you mentioned, from Mission Control to to Super League Gaming, but we haven't fully cracked that nut yet, but we are putting real assets and time and effort and money um, because we think alternative content is really, really important to us, especially in the world that we're living in and that gaming, um, you know, people will come out to be within their gaming universe and to experience things both as a player and also as a spectator even though they could spectate some of that online. But it's the fact of being in a community together, and that's what Critical Role is all about. They, they could have watched that online, but they came out mm-hmm. to the theater and they paid a significant amount to get in and see it because they wanted to experience it you know, as a community of people who love that particular game. So gaming is a, is a real strategic initiative for us uh, as we move into 2022. And this is another example of Cinemark 
looking at what people want to experience outside of the home and thinking of itself as a retailer, as an out-of-home entertainment destination, instead of just a plug-and-play movie theater. It's an evolution that Zerati was really careful in bringing in during the pandemic, trying to innovate and see how they could bring in all of these concepts in the house. And of course, it's something that will eventually make its way to its international circuit. Cinemark being one of the largest movie theater circuits in Latin America with a substantial presence all over the region. Rebecca, you were able to ask him about what the state of recovery was in that part of the world. This is what Mark had to say on the matter. We're somewhere in a 60 to 90 day lag to the recovery in the US, depending on the country itself. And the primary reason for that isn't because of the number of vaccines today, because actually in the major countries of Argentina and Brazil and Chile, um, they have numbers or they have percentages of vaccine equal to and above the United States, but they were slower getting there. You know, the vaccine didn't come as quickly to Latin America, but once it came, the adoption rate was very, very strong. So I, I would put them somewhere 60 to 90 days behind the U.S. in terms of actual recovery. Yeah, Daniel, speaking to what you said earlier about how Cinemark under Zerati's tenure has really uh, revved up its game in terms of not just being that traditional plug and play movie theater. You know, they've added these premium amenities. They've uh, in invested in new technology. It's a basic, obvious question, but it's one that I had to ask someone who has been the CEO of one of the largest and, and I believe most innovative chains in North America, um, you know, what over his tenure at Cinemark was he most proud of bringing to the table? You know, I'd say it's a couple of things. Uh, one is the way that we very aggressively re-outfitted our theaters and redesigned our theaters to put recliners in so deeply. Mm -hmm. And um, two is the um, digital transformation that was put in place to market and promote our films. And three is the real emphasis that we put on data and consumer loyalty. And consumer loyalty is not only our free, but also we were the, the first um, exhibitor-sponsored subscription program. And we took a little unique twist to it, you know. Um, the models coming out of Europe have been, you know, unlimited. And we tested that and researched that, and we also researched it against the model of the rollover plan, you know, which is more like what you see at, at Amazon Audible or what you saw in the data plans. So our movie club subscription program has been highly successful. And then I would, I would say the expansion of our food and drink and other amenities. You know, we, we now offer, uh, expanded food in, in about 70% of our theaters and alcohol about 50% of our theaters. And now also, you can order online. We've rolled out a whole new concept called Snacks in a Tap. And the consumer can order online. They can either pick it up when they get there, and it's made fresh because as soon as they scan their phone, we know you're there and we make it fresh. Or you can walk to your seat and we'll deliver it to your seat. So um, we, again, that's all part of the guest experience. So I think when you add all those up, I think those are the, some of the critical things that, that we've been able to accomplish. To finish up our interview uh, with Mark Zarati here, you can read the whole thing in our January, February issue. But 
you know, I just wanted to find out, Mark, what are you going to be up to in the future? I've been in this business, I hate to admit it, Rebecca, but 40 years plus. And so I'm going to stay in it, but I'm going to stay in it more strategically. Um, I'm on the, I'm going to stay and remain on the board of Cinemark. So that's more of a strategic role. And I'm also on the board of National Cinemedia and uh, three philanthropic boards. And, you know, the truth is, you know, I've been married for 45 years. I look forward to a little bit more time with my wife. She has been incredibly patient as I've done the Cinemark adventure and, and now have five grandkids with a sixth one on the way. So between the board work and, and MCM and Cinemark and, and philanthropic and um, having a little bit more time to ourselves, I think I'm going to be more, kept myself more than busy. What I'm not looking for is the next full-time gig. If I wanted a, a full-time gig, I'd be staying at Cinemark. And that was Mark Cerati, the former CEO of Cinemark, who just stepped down at the end of 2021. Looking back on his time and tenure as CEO of the third largest exhibition circuit in North America. Thanks again for that interview to both Mark and Rebecca. Very interesting insights there. And if you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, keep on listening. The Box Office Podcast comes out every Thursday. You can also follow us online at boxofficepro.com or subscribe to our magazine, Box Office Pro. You can find information on how to get it on our website. The Box Office Podcast is produced in collaboration between Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you.